Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Chronology. This is episode 111. Um, so before we get started, make sure to do all of the things. Go rate, review, share, five stars, comment. Those things. Make sure you do all of them. We have social media. Crimeology at Crimeology Pod, both at on Instagram and Facebook. Um, email crimeologypod at gmail.com that you can go email literally anything over there. Um, so yeah, make sure to do all of those things. We've passed over 20,000 plays, um, which means at some point 20,000 people have listened to a podcast at some point, which is pretty cool. Um, I haven't looked at countries in a while or anything like that so i don't know exactly we, we used to talk about numbers all the time but um we have 110 other episodes that you can catch up on so make sure to go check out all of those other episodes some better than others yeah, true <laughs> but we'll let you figure out which ones those are <laughs> yeah maybe don't let us know that <laughs> but all right, let's get started with this case. This is episode 111, The Unabomber. So, does Stephen know this case? I've heard of this one, yes. This is also a case that I did not know of um and we'll talk at the end about why this one was not on my list to begin with um and so we'll talk at the end about why it all of a sudden started to get on my list but anyways we'll get started so surprise i'm spoiling the end of the story early for you again dang it sam and telling you who the guy is so we're talking about theodore john kaczynski now he goes by ted and Ted was a genius. He had an IQ of 167. And for those like me. That's double your IQ score. Literally. No, and I'm just who, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, that means nothing to me. So I'm like, oh, good for you. Google says that the average IQ is between 85 and 115. Okay, if you had to guess. Well, I mean, of course, I give you a hard time. What, what would you think your IQ is? Honestly, probably less than 85. I don't think so. I think you're I think you're a little bit smarter than what you're giving yourself. Probably. But I'm not book smart. This so is I'm not like, this is self-help episode number 1. I start crying. <laughs> is an IQ test long? I have no idea. I've never done one. This is what I thought of. Is I was like, we should take an IQ test. I don't know. We should look into that and maybe next time we'll have maybe one. Next time I don't we'll know like I think I would probably be in the like you know, like high nineties, hmm. I would think. Cause usually I'm pretty smart. It's just, if it doesn't yeah, interest yeah, me, I, I don't apply myself right. college. <laughs> so anyways, so I was like 167. Good for you. Pat on the back. Um, so I don't know what that means. So between an 85 and 115 is the average IQ. So Ted started going to Harvard, Harvard, 
my lanta. Okay, 70. <laughs> I know. I'm losing some every time. He started going to Harvard when he was 15 years old. And then he had graduated with his PhD in mathematics by the time he was 25 at the University of California, Berkeley. I mean, I graduated college by the time I was 24. By the time you got graduated college, but now you're PhD. You know, I went to school like I had a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> He then became the youngest professor to be hired at California Berkeley this same year he graduated. But Ted was very awkward and he did not fit in well, which I think is typical for people that get labeled as a genius. So he worked at the school for a few years, but he ultimately quit because he just didn't like it and having to deal with the students and other staff. He just didn't fit in well and didn't do that part of stuff well. And so he only worked a few years and then he quit. So in 1969, Ted moves into a cabin in the middle of the woods in Lincoln, Montana. He wanted to learn how to live off the land, how to be self-sufficient, so he didn't have to talk to anyone ever again. And he did really good at this lifestyle. He got his cabin started and was taking really good care of himself and the land. He was actually really good at this lifestyle. As time went on, though, he started to notice that the land around his cabin was starting to become destroyed due to the development of houses and just the industry growth. So he starts noticing that all of the things around the, like, starts noticing that all the things around the world that he's trying to run away from was actually starting to come closer and closer to his little heaven on earth. And he didn't like it. So this this sounds like we're like in like on Yellowstone on That's the TV show. Literally, I this what I is, was gonna write, but I didn't. This is probably. I'm glad we're thinking the same way. This is probably like how the Taylor Sheridan. That's probably how he got this idea. Was he heard about this case, or he knows about this case, and he was like, it. "Oh yeah, we're gonna do it this That's way." That's literally what I thought. It was. I was like this is the Duttons and they're trying to keep their ranch and <laughs> all of Montana is trying to come in around him and build ski resorts. Listen, I think next season we might have a segment of like fictional crimes and like we, you could spend like three or four episodes talking about everything on Yellowstone. Yellowstone could be a whole podcast by itself. That could be. But that's literally, I almost wrote that down. But then I was like, no, let's just Hit not. us up, Paramount. <laughs> we'll do a podcast for you. Yeah, hit us up. <laughs> so he decides, Ted decides, that he has to be the one to do something about this. So he starts placing like little booby traps around the work site that they're working at, thinking that it would cause them to like not want to come back to work or say like, this area is just too much, like, there's these things everywhere. So let's just go somewhere else. Like, like, let's move this camp somewhere else. But it obviously isn't working. So then Ted turns to acts of arson to try to stop them. This again doesn't work. So he decides he has to think of something else to do. So then he says that this is an issue that needs to be brought in front of the world. That this was something that people weren't realizing was ha was happening 
And he thought that this should be something that everyone should be scared of and no one lives like he does. So they weren't noticing these things like he was. So all of this needed to be done by him and he needed to be the voice of the people. So he thought the only way to get people's attention was to force people out of their comfortable lives. And this could be done by creating bombs. So he started creating these bombs by hand. So he has to make sure that the bombs are untraceable. So he's doing things like the wood he's using, he's burning beforehand to make sure that there are no marks or scrapes left on the wood. The scrap metal that he's using, he melts all of the metal together and then combines it all so that the metal is untraceable. He even goes a step further and doesn't use power tools to create his bombs. And any tools that he does use to create the bombs, he is handcrafting himself. So if he needs a screwdriver, he is literally building a screwdriver from the beginning so that the whole project would be untraceable. Now, if he did need tools and couldn't get around not having that specific tool or not being able to create it himself, he would go to a store miles away from where he lived, and he would also go in a disguise so that he wouldn't be caught. So this dude was literally, like, thinking to the extreme of, like, yeah. what can I do? Well, and it's kind of funny, too. Like, I mean, if you think about it, like, you're literally, like, making a screwdriver. Like, I know. you would literally, like, have to, like you would said, you get all the scrap metal, you melt it down, and then you would have to, like, cut out the little gro- grooves, right. is what I'll call it, on the end to for a Phillips or, or if it's a flathead, I'm assuming that'd be a little bit easier. But, I mean, that seems almost a little, like, too far for what he's right. doing. You know what I mean? And maybe this was just this whole, like, I'm here on my own, and so I'm going to make all this by myself. Right. Maybe. But I was like, that definitely is going to a whole new level. But I'm like, all right, psycho. But all right. Literally. Yeah. May 25th, 1978, Ted sends his first bomb. He sends it to a professor at Northwestern University. The professor reports the package to campus police and just says that it was very strange and he didn't really wasn't expecting anything specifically to the university. And then when the package is opened, the bomb is disassembled and it's only causing one police officer minor damage. It's disassembled before it can cause even more damage. Then we get to 1985. He sends a bomb to Sacramento to John Hauser, who was a computer store owner. John opens the package and unfortunately would end up passing away from the wounds that he received and would become Ted's first casualty. Then, from the years of 1986 to 1993, Ted only sends one bomb during this time, seemingly like taking this time off. He then starts again in 1993 and sends two more bombs. Thomas Moser was an executive at a public relations firm that represented Exxon. 
after there was a big oil spill in 1989. So Ted sent Thomas a bomb, and Thomas would also become the second person to die from their injuries from the bomb that Ted sent. Gilbert Brent Murray worked for the California Forestry Association, and in 1995, he was sent a bomb and became the third victim to die from his wounds from the bomb that Ted sent. November 1979, Ted puts a bomb on an American Airlines flight that exploded mid-flight, injuring many people. He sends bombs to University of Utah, Vanderbilt University, University of Michigan, and Yale, and he addresses the bombs to research assistants, graduate students, professors, and even a university secretary. He even sends a bomb to the president of United Airlines. So this case gets its nickname from the FBI. The FBI codenamed this case the the Unibomb, standing for University and Airline Bomber. So the task force that was put together by the FBI was over 150 full-time investigators in an island. What? What is that word? Analysis? Analysts? Analysts. Good night. You can tell it's been a long time since Listen, you've read words. Since I've talked? Probably. So, 150 full-time investigators are working on this task force. So, officials are obviously working hard on the case, but Ted is smart, and he's not leaving any clues for FBI. He's even going as far to put false evidence in his bombs so that police start searching in a completely different area, completely away from him. So in 1995, Ted has a manifesto he titles Industrial Society and Its Future. He sends this manifesto to the New York Times and the Washington Post with a letter demanding that they publish his manifesto or he would continue to send bombs. So now at this time, the search for Ted had been going on for 17 years. Officials had no idea where they were going to go from here. They had no other leads. All of the evidence they thought they had had led them to dead ends, so they had nothing on this case. They didn't want to give their bomber what the bomber wanted, but they also knew that they had no trails, And but they also didn't want anybody to get injured. So on September 19th, 1995, the manifesto was published in hopes that it would lead to more leads. Now, you can find the manifesto on the internet. Whoa, buddy, is it long? <laughs> um, I did try to read it goodness gracious it is long um but we will post it onto our facebook page if that's something you want to go check out so being published by two of the biggest newspapers people all over the country are reading this manifesto and fbi like i said is hoping that publishing it they will get some more leads So husband and wife, David and Linda, are at their home reading the manifesto 
when they start to notice that a lot of wording used or phrases that the writer use sounds a lot like their brother. So they start bringing out letters that David's brother wrote to them or journals that his brother kept and start comparing the letters to the manifesto. And they start thinking that their brother might be the bomber. Okay, so I'll put you in their shoes for a minute. Like, if you had that, we'll just use Tabba just because, you know, right? she's she's the one who's been on this podcast before. So, like, if you you and Cameron started reading this and then you're like, wait a minute, that sounds like my sister. Like, what would your, like, immediate thoughts be? stumped you once again perfect I don't, like, I don't, that's one of those things that i'm like i don't know i really don't know <laughs> what would you think if I, your sister wrote something I'd say, yeah that it i'd be like um i would definitely be calling the police like hey i don't really know how to tell you this but <laughs> We'll pocket this conversation and we'll have it later at the end. Okay. <laughs> now, officials were split in half. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. David and Linda, so for months, instead of going to police, they the couple hires a private investigator to look at the situation. For months, they are collecting information, they're building up their case, and then February of 1996, all of the information has been turned over to police. So David and Linda officially tell police that they think the bomber might be their brother, Ted. And so this is where I was going to have this conversation of, I mean, you already told on yourself that you would go to police if you thought your sister was it. So that was going to be my question. If you thought, if you read it and you thought, oh, this could be Sam or this could be my wife or this could be so-and-so, would you immediately go to police and be like, hey, I think this may be your guy? Because I don't know if I'd go to police, even if I knew it was my sister. I don't know if I'd go to police. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're obviously not going to go to her and be like, uh, yeah, hey, are you doing this? I think I would. I'd be like, listen, you say this phrase a lot. It's in here. I'd be like, there's kind of, I not in like a first, I don't think I would say it in like a serious way, but I'd be like, I mean, there definitely would be jokes within my family of like, oh, okay. And then trying to like use that as like a, let's see how she reacts or let's see oh my gosh but that was going to be the question of like because ultimately spoiler this is what happens is ted's brother is the one that gives him up and so like who knows ted could have probably gone forever not being caught if his brother didn't say anything so this is one of those that you're like betrayal by blood (laughs) so i don't know it's a good question would you give up your family I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we'll continue on. So now officials were split in half when when David and Linda come forward. 
Ted didn't fit the description or the profile that they had just spent years building of who they thought this person was, Ted just wasn't that person. But you have the manifesto against Ted's letters. How strong of a case is that? Can that get us anywhere? You have all of this work that David and the PI had done. Like, does any of that mean anything? So there's a lot of questions here. So the FBI sit on this information for a couple of months and they're going back and forth within their team trying to figure out if Ted really was their guy or not. And then one day, I couldn't find out how this happened, but Ted's name gets leaked to the public as a potential suspect in the bombing. So now FBI are kind of pushed. Kind of got forced to. Yeah, Yeah. they have no choice but to arrest Ted so that he doesn't run and hide when he finds out that his name is floating around or whatever. So April 3rd, 1996, FBI officials go to Ted's house and they arrest him. When they enter his house, they find stacks of bomb-making material, thousands of journal pages that were related to the crimes, and they even found a bomb already fully assembled in the home. So if there was any question before, there's not (laughs) any question now. Ted was indicted on 10 counts of bomb-related activity and 3 counts of murder. Now, Ted's lawyers tried to get him to plead insane, but Ted refused and would actually plead guilty to all of the charges against him. He pleaded guilty on January 22nd, 1998. He was sentenced to eight life terms without parole and sentenced to the Super Maximum Security Prison Facility in Florence, Colorado. Now, during his time, Ted was responsible for sending 16 bombs, killing three people, and wounding more than 23 people. This also would become one of the most expensive cases in FBI history. Now, this case comes back into the news circle and is why I put this one back on my list, and it's really why I did this one today. It comes back into the news circle on June 10th, 2023 when at the age of 81 ted was found dead in his prison cell now as of this morning no cause of death has been released yet but his death is being investigated as a suicide and so i think i got um i honestly i think i was in the movie theater with my mom and i got a bbc news alert on my phone of course you did i know that said uh he was dead and i was like oh there's my episode for this week um so i was like perfect we got it so that's my episode for this week we can mark this down as one of the episodes that sam really didn't know a lot about yeah i i knew a not a lot of it, but like I knew, like the the name, right? But I definitely thought that he had killed more people than. Yeah, that's what I also thought. Because like when you said this was his, the third one, yeah. I'm like, wait, only the third one? Because yeah. like I thought this was a big. I mean, obviously, you know, obviously right. this was a big deal, but like I thought there was definitely way more. You know. Well, and I, I think it's, I guess it's always because, like, 
oh, and this sounds bad, but America, when like a case goes big or like when you do like the worst possible thing, you get like a nickname. You know what I mean? Like right. serials killers get a nickname. And so the fact that this case has a nickname, like I thought it was a bigger case, like three people's three people too many. And then injuring over 20 people is 20 people too many. Mm-hmm. But it definitely is one of those that I was like, whoa, you're not as big as I really thought you were. But he died Saturday. And so when I got that notification on my phone, I was like, well, got this case for this week. Now we know. And I was like, whoa, I can't. I didn't realize that I completely forgot to put him on my list of popular cases. Which means I've got to bump somebody off, which will be hard to figure out down the line. But hey, episode 111. One one one. I I wrote it down and I did think episode one one one, but I was like, I can't say that. No, you can't. Wow, you are reading my mind today. First Yellowstone and now one one one. We're the same person. That's scary for you. <laughs> All right, episode one one one. Get off your meds. <laughs> I don't got to. <laughs> um. That's it, folks. Um, make sure to do all of the things, see all of the things, subscribe to all of the things, share all the things, do all of the things, y'all. Yeah. What Sam said. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we got to get out of here. <laughs> like always, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Crimeology. Yeah.